Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello out there, rock and rollers, and welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast recorded just off Abbey Road here in snowy London. It's been nice to see the snow come down uh, this week. Maybe it hasn't been sticking too much, but it's been pretty, and it's been a nice break from the usual gray rain that you get all through the winter here in London. This week, we've decided to review another British rock royalty classic record, one that's been a lot to me over the years, and that's Dire Straits' live album, Alchemy, coming out in 1984. Of course, everybody's familiar with Brothers in Arms, Money for Nothing, Walk of Life, Latest Trick, from that juggernaut that propelled them into super, uber duper star status. Before that, they were a successful rock and roll band centered around the talents of Mark Knopfler, an incredible songwriter, a solid vocalist, and a real virtuoso guitar player who really captured the attention of musicians and other guitar players all over the world. So they had four albums coming up, Dire Straits, Communique, Making Movies, and Love Over Gold, plus an EP just before they put out the live album, and they do capture a song from the EP on Alchemy. But Alchemy really shows the amazing talent of Mark Knopfler as a guitar player and how tight Dire Straits was as a live rock and roll band. The lineup may have expanded by the time they got into Alchemy here in 1983, was when the show was recorded at Hammersmith Odeon. But it really captures an extraordinary band at the height of their powers. Before things changed, I won't say they softened up on Brothers in Arms, but you don't see the heavy-duty guitar work in there like you see on the previous albums, and they're afforded the opportunity to stretch these strongs out, explore them, and really put a live stamp on them. So let's go back in time. Let's go to 1984, though recorded in 1983. This is a look at Alchemy by Dire Straits here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I appreciate you doing Alchemy on such short notice because we didn't listen to it in college and we would have worn it out, I'm pretty sure, especially Sultans of Swing, the you know 11-minute live edition of Sultans of Swing. We, we would have had that on quite a bit on many a night, man. But this has been a huge go-to album for me in the last, call it 15, maybe more years. And I don't know, I never get tired of listening to it. It's only got 11 songs on it. They do stretch them out. But Knopfler is so good and he's so tight. And to me, this is the best showcase of Mark Knopfler on record. This was an, this was an interesting deal for me because I, I, I'll be honest, like I know the songs, but I really haven't listened to this album quite that much. But the, the thing that, I, that really struck me is, you're right, this is a showcase for Mark Knopfler, but the rest of the dudes in the band are super tight and they know exactly here's here's how much we can give you and then okay it's time for him and now we move take a step back Mm -hmm. i understand that that dire straits is was and will always be mark knopfler you could easily just be called mark knopfler does this but the guys that he has with him i think i think they are very underrated just kind of listening to it now because like i said he's going to do what he's going to want to do okay now he's going to play a little okay now we have to Boom. Oh, now he's, you know, taking a break. Okay, back in. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there doesn't seem to be any kind of weird, I don't know what I'm doing. There's no one who is kind of over showcasing themselves. It's a testament to how great all of these guys work together in a band that you kind of know your place. Look, John Ilsley, who's the bass player, I thought he was fantastic on this, man. He, and from the opening track, man, Once Upon a Time in the West, that boom, 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 boom. Yeah, he is on top of it, man. And it's it's not drowning out bass. It's not... It's not over-distorted. It's not it's over-distorted. Not, yeah, exactly. You know, it's nice yeah. and clear. and But it's in the background, right? It's, it's right. still, you know, following the drum. And the drummer was off the charts here. And, and, and that's, um, was it Terry Williams, who had replaced Pick Withers, I think, the, the year before that year or something like that. You're right. I mean, the musicianship is top-notch. And you know what? I saw something because it looked like it was a New York area television show from the 80s like a music show okay <laughs> that had this guy that was like a white guy you know with a with a polo shirt on and kind of a weird haircut um, just kind of sitting in front of a window saying, you know, Dire Straits came onto the scene in 1978 with Sultans of Swing. And from there, you know, it was it was like, you know, and I'm like, I wonder if Gary, you know, because you grew up in the tri-state area, I wonder if you had heard of this guy. And it was like an Italian name, like Scandinetti or something like that. But then he's interviewing Mark Knopfler, like in the studio 
in what I think is 1984. And he's talking about, and it's just interesting because when you were talking about last show, when, when you can hear things on records um, that are obviously multi-tracked and, and produced, like you couldn't hit all those drums at the same time. You, you know, you obviously looped something in there, right? And we've talked for a long time about how bands like Kiss that we love, and a lot of people, a live album will not always be 100% live, right? People will go back and punch stuff up, and it might not even be the person who played it, you know? And, and Rob Zombie, yeah. you know, kind of famously said on um, Hired Gun, which is a great documentary, if you guys have seen it, on, you know, how people get in and out of bands and, you know, how the their A players out there can always have jobs, and sometimes you get lucky and get become a member of a band if you have the gig long enough. But anyway... Talking about, like, he learned naively, what do you mean all the guys in the band or all the guys on the cover here, they're not playing on the record? What do you mean other people are playing on the record? I, I see their names and faces right here. And so Knopfler was saying how uh, he was putting together the Alchemy record, and he's talked to friends and been like, you know, this live album is not live at all. They've basically re-recorded everything. Uh, the only thing they kept was really, like, the noise from the crowd to make it sound live, you know? Or he's like, but this that I just did, there's no overdubbing on it at all. There's no re-recording or none of that, you know? It's live, and I, I think it was two nights at Hammersmith Odeon. They may have recorded it, because they also did the film, uh, and, and that way maybe you get to choose the better of the two if you if you had one night where a song sounded better. But I believe them. It sounds crystal clear. It's consistent through the whole thing, right? They kind of had the same tempo all night. They kind of had the same tone all night. And, and it, it sounds amazing. And it's, it's authentic. I, I mean, I believe it. Well, and I think that comes from, you know, you're talking about Hired Gun, having people in the band who are exceptional musicians. Knopfler, I've seen, yeah, I was doing a little research for this. They call him a, uh, like a prodigy mm -hmm. or an officiate, you know, something, something like that, where it's just, he's just in his own universe. And then he gets these guys who are just top-notch musicians and they can all play together and, and let him kind of showcase him. I don't think anybody's under any misconceptions that they're there to see them. Mm -hmm. They're not there to see you. They're there to see Mark Knopfler. But I get to play on stage with these other guys. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound like – and then Knopfler's – his vocals are not – he sings very low. Mm -hmm. So it's not one of those things where like, yeah, the high notes, <laughs> we missed those tonight or you know, one too many whiskey sours before – so they have to go in and re-record them. No, I mean, it, you're right. It does sound 100% live to me. Or I'd have no, I would have no problem believing that was the case. And that's what happens when you have exceptional musicians. Yeah, and you're right. Mark Knopfler is special. I, I put him in the top 10 guitarists of all time as far as playing ability and the stuff that he's left behind. And folks who are unfamiliar with his solo stuff, you should really go check it out. I think he loves some stuff like Sailing to Philadelphia, Stuff like the Rag Picker's Dream, Get Lucky, Privateering. There's some great... He's made more records as a solo artist at this point than they made with Dire Straits. But, you know, Dire Straits really only made six full records. You know, from 78 to 85, they made five, including Brothers in Arms, which came after Alchemy, right? Um, uh, that's, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, this is, this is the calm before the storm. Like I looked up, I looked up the uh, sales Alchemy, and I understand it's a live record, so it doesn't doesn't really count. Sold two hundred fifty thousand copies in the United States. Brothers in Arms went on to sell nine million copies in the United States on its way to thirty million worldwide. Yeah, so, one, I mean, one of the best selling albums of all yes. time. 
and all over MTV. We did our show last week on Sting and the Police Synchronicity blowing up MTV. This song and this that video, Money for Nothing, owned MTV for like a couple of years as like the greatest. It looks campy now. It's something that I could even make animation-wise with my phone, probably. Um, but it dominated MTV. It sold so well. They dined out on that for a long time. They didn't make their next album until we were in college in 1991. Um, yeah, I think that might have been one of those deals where it was, you know, it, obviously they're a live band. They played a ton of shows. And then it's like, yeah, I mean, how do you top that? Where, where do we go from here? I don't know. Maybe we should really think about this. And and the other thing, too, is 30 million copies. Old. That'll buy you a lot of... Uh, a lot of downtime. That's for sure. Yeah, you got to go around and spend some of that money, right? And they could still go out and tour on that for a while. Plus, Mark Knopfler was in huge demand, okay? He he was a very in-demand studio musician, a very in-demand collaborator, and a producer, you know? He, he produced Bob Dylan's Infidels, you know, in the early 80s, got Mick Taylor to play on the album. You know, he, he was a session man uh, for Steely Dan, which is really saying something. That's not like just, you know, they, they get you off the street for Steely Dan. you got to be pretty good to pull that yeah. off, you know. He, he's collaborated with Clapton a lot over the years. He's done a lot of work for soundtracks. The most famous of being, well, what would you say the most famous was? I mean... It has to be The Princess Bride. Princess Bride, probably, I would say. Wag the Dog is is the music... The, 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 the movie's obviously not going to hold the same place in everyone's heart as The Princess Bride. But he always finishes the show. Was it Going Home? Going Home from Local Hero. From Local Hero, right. He always closes the show with that. He does his uh, solo tour. I've seen him three times. Saw him at, what's the place in Nashville? It used to be the old church. It used to be the Grand Ole Opry. The um, Ryman. The Ryman. Yeah, I saw him at the Ryman. Yeah. That was cool. Do you do you know anything about how he learned how to play? Well, because his finger-picking style, you think he taught it, himself? It, that's what it looks like to me. I've never seen any. His hand looks so painfully weird when he plays, and he doesn't. And he makes a sound that really no one else does. I've got to imagine that was he just kind of would hear like Chet Atkins songs and say, you know what? I can I can play along to that kind of just, you know, a kid in his bedroom just picking away at this thing, matching what mm -hmm. he heard and then taking it from there. And maybe that's part of what gives him this gift because he's not doing it like everybody else does. It's amazing the notes that he fits in and the way that he can kind of make harmonies with both hands and then move very quickly to something else very smoothly. I don't know. It's special. I mean, look, Jeff Beck maybe the best guitar player ever possibly i don't know he plays without the pick he's pretty special there aren't that many other people who do it lindsey buckingham comes to mind and then some people can do it some it wouldn't shock me if steven stills or neil young or those guys can do it but they jam out with the pick so it's a rare skill i guess um and especially he's, his his talent's just different yeah and he's got a very unique way of not only playing, but sounding. You know, if you heard something, you're like, that's Mark Knopfler. I can tell the way that he plays. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got a really, he's got a really cool feel. And it's interesting to see him. Like, I, I don't know. I think it was like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something like that. When he gets up with a couple other guys to, to watch them play, you know, guys like Jeff Beck, I think it was, you know, he was with Stevie Ray Vaughan one time or something mm -hmm. at these jam out sessions. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't. I know he's playing the same kind of music and the same instrument, but it doesn't really look like he doesn't look like anybody else up there. Mm -hmm. And he's got that really distinct voice too. He doesn't have a lot of range in it, but also you know, as soon as he okay, Mark Knopfler, Mark Knopfler, you know, right there, is. yeah. So he's writing the songs, right? He 
He's always written his songs. He may collaborate yeah. with people sometimes, but he's always written the songs, written them in Dire Straits as a solo artist, wrote songs with other artists, wrote for films. And then you're this extraordinary virtuoso, like specially gifted guitar player. And then, yes, you are the recognizable voice. You may not be Paul Rogers or Robert Plant, but you do have a nice voice. You can tell your own stories. And that's what I think gives him some authenticity, right? Kind of gives him a real troubadour kind of feel. It's, it's more, he, he sounds to me more like a Bob, like Bob Dylan is not going to get out there and belt out, you know, these tunes, but he, but Bob Dylan sings Bob Dylan songs very well. I think Knopfler sings Mark Knopfler songs perfectly. Yeah. Tom Waits them, does great yeah. Tom Waits, you know? Correct. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to hear him singing the Star Spangled Banner, yeah. but you want to hear him singing Tom Waits songs. Yes. Yeah. And just the, and like you said, in listening to that Alchemy record and, and, and on Sultans of Swing, you've heard Sultans of Swing 7,000 times. Yep. But to hear them do a, what, 10 minute, how long is it? 10 11, minute, 48 second version. version like, yeah. That song can't be that long. Well, yeah, it can. If do it right. And it's not, in listening to this too, somebody was complaining about, I want to say it was Joe Walsh and Joe Walsh doing a you know 14 minute version of a freak out thing. It just doesn't sound like that to me. It doesn't sound it doesn't ever sound over the top or esoteric. It sounds like yeah that really fit together. It all fit together well. It wasn't just somebody going off and it was, let me just show off for you. It's it's no it's really composed cool. right. It yeah. is thought out yeah. and yeah you're right and and it and it builds momentum up and it brings it back down and it gives other people a time to kind of stretch out a little bit. It's interesting that actually. When I was doing some research, one of this, because you have to categorize the album, of course, and it said rock dot progressive rock. I'm like, well, I never really thought of Dire Straits as progressive rock. That's pretty, it's pretty old style rock and roll to me, guitar driven. I don't know, but when, when you start to get into extending songs, there are a lot of keyboards and piano on this album i i guess it could loosely fit in there somewhere but but anyway no i just i find the whole thing super listenable and even he was saying in that same interview on that same show it's like you know i actually prefer the live stuff to the stuff on the record sometimes because sometimes the stuff on the record is it's based around what room you're in or you know that time or who you're working with or that kind of thing and if you had time to work it out on the road more, something like that. It could be different. And they do, obviously, most songs evolve over time. Yes, you've got to do something that sounds like it was on the record, but but songs can kind of grow and, and change, you know, with the right kind of talent, right? And I also think, too, that when you're in... Okay, just for the listening audience out there, don't get me wrong, I've never recorded an album before, so just take it easy here. This is just what I'm thinking. If you're in the studio, you've got a somebody in the control room who can stop you and say, oh, eh, eh, do that again. I'm not feeling you're live. That's it. You, you don't have a net. Let's let's see where this goes. And you don't. I, I would think it was it'd be more of a I don't want to say burden, but it's like, again, once we start, we can't stop. So we got to this has to be we got to all fit this in together. There's no there's no safety net here playing live. And for guys like that who have mastery of their instruments, it's all it, it might all be freeing because you're never going to get that stop button pushed. Right. And they were practiced. I mean, they went out there and hit the road. You know, they worked hard for those years in Dire Straits, you know, because the albums came out, you know, one, two, three, four in a row from 78 to 81, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And I would guess that probably there was, you know, tours in between all of those. So, yeah, you get to you get to a point where it's like, I'm. I have to take a break. I'm tired here. Well, and that's what happened to David Knopfler, Mark's brother. It was those two, the Knopfler brothers, playing guitar back in the day in Newcastle. And they hooked up with John Ilsley and Pick Withers, who were also from the Midlands. 
to make Dire Straits. And they kind of went from there. And, you know, they tried, they got a demo to a DJ that included Sultans of Swing on it. So that's kind of amazing. That's basically their first song was Sultans of Swing. It's all time unbelievable. No wonder people thought he was a virtuoso. The first song he ever said, well, I think this is pretty good. Would you mind playing on the radio? And that's Dire, that's Sultans of Swing, man. That's easy. My dad always talks about how Money for Nothing was their best song. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Have you heard Sultans of Swing? Moreover, have you heard the long version on Alchemy? Because that is the one I've known from a young age that, that the Alchemy version was uh, was so awesome. That's why I was sorry we didn't have it in college. But hey, to buy that new in college, that's a double CD. That's 30 bucks. We're, we're buying used CDs for, for $6.99 because the $7.99 ones, we just can't, we can't buy too many of those, right? Yeah, that, I, I think that was the real challenge then. Yeah, I mean, that is a huge outlay of cash. Like, what was it, like, probably 20 or 23 bucks for a double CD? I bet it was 30 And, you know, and the thing is, we had the best of Dire Straits. We had the studio stuff, right? So that, you know, that would have been a big... That would have been a big investment. And we had other places we were, you know, it's it's all kind of where you are in your life, right? We all go through these different stages and stuff. We just had an overlap there for a couple of years. Yeah, but I think that I think that it is interesting that, it, like you were talking about your father saying, you know, how Money for Nothing was the greatest deal. It really, it's really not. When you go back and listen to this, this, this really is dire straits in their purest, truest form. I don't want to say they sold out to MTV, but like they changed things up a little bit and it, it's just, it's not the same thing. I think, I think if you really are a dire straits fan, this is more up your alley than that. Absolutely. And Mark Knopfler doesn't play money for nothing in his solo concerts. Really. I, I, actually, I, I take that back a little bit because I think in the not-too-distant past here, he did actually break it out. I've seen him play several times, and he never played it, and it, I never wanted to or expected him to play it. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't need that. Walk of Life is fun live from that record, and obviously Brothers in Arms can... Uh, can maybe get a tear out of you if he does it right on the right night. Um, great album, but I'm with you. This was Dire Straits hitting on all cylinders, just killing it with everything they made before the monster that changed them and and kind of broke up the band because then at that point, it's like Mark Knopfler's always in demand and he just proved with him playing guitar, writing the songs and singing, he can have one of the biggest, I mean, it's a top 10 album in British history. You know, that means he's got more than like Beatles and Stones and, you know, some serious albums he sold more than. So uh, suddenly he's like, okay, I can I can get out of this because I don't know if he likes fame. I don't know if fame is his thing, but it money might be. Like to me. <laughs> I, I've seen a lot of interviews with him and it never seems like he's, he's not Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. He's not look at me, look at me. Yeah, I, I don't know how that changed him. You know, you were kind of bumping along with, you know, we got gold records, you know, maybe you get a platinum one, and then all of a sudden this blows up, and it's like, oh, 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 oh I'm, not, I'm not ready for this. What is this? Mm -hmm. Oh, come on, you, Dave, we want you on MTV every 20 seconds, and tell us about how, you know, your crazy life of a rock star, and that's not me, I'm sorry, that's right. not the person you're looking for. <laughs> I just want to go kind of hang out and play. Yeah, apparently he took the tube to a show here in London. You know, and eventually somebody kind of recognized him. He just kind of gave him a wave. Hey, you know, 
I'm like, God, that's bizarre, you know. But he's he's the obvious talent. There's no doubt about it. And the stuff that he's done away from Dire Straits is is very strong. His film work is strong. His stuff, and, and he's done some kind of country stuff. The Notting Hill Billies. He did an album with Chet Atkins. He did uh, All the Road Running with Emmylou Harris, and then a live one that really helped me and my wife because you know I've been I've been trying to indoctrinate her into rock and roll because she grew up with a lot of that country stuff that 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 I can't really lend myself to very easily so I'm trying to find some common ground I'm like okay well look here's Mark Knopfler here are that Sailing Philadelphia album that, that you like here he is with Emmy Lou see if you like you know this one of course she loved it and eventually I had to hide it from her because she wanted to listen to it every single night after we at work I'm like okay I'm glad you like it we can listen to it you know every couple of weeks it's every single night we just can't do that for anything right we you know so anyway that is true yes right <laughs> But it, but it is cool. It's a testament to him that he can kind of switch back and forth between, you know, is he, I mean, what is he? Is he country? Is he prog rock? Is he rock and roll? Yes. The answer is yes. I can play all of that in my own style. I can do whatever, whatever you need me to do. The Princess Bride soundtrack. That doesn't, re- I mean, it is, it's him. You can tell it's Mark Novel, but it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. anything else that he's done. It's, it, yeah, he's just, he's a true composer slash musician. And and so at this point, the band, I guess, was just, Knopfler had been busy, right? Love Over Gold comes out in 82. In 83, they put out the EP, which had four songs on it. I guess bands do that more in, in the UK or in Europe. It's never really been an American thing. It's like, it's not quite a single and it's not quite a record. And I just feel like it, it just never really took off. It's something that bands kind of do over here. With Mark, he'd been so busy. He did do the soundtracks to Local Hero and to Cal and, you know, hadn't done Princess Bride quite yet, but he'd been doing a lot of studio stuff. He produced Bob Dylan's album, Infidels. You know, he's in demand doing a lot of different stuff. And so uh, 1984, they needed to put something out. You know, that's the tour from what was it recorded in 83? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, July of 83 in London at Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah. They needed to put that out, you know, to do something in 84. I'm not sure if they toured or not. But also in this show that I saw, he's like, the next the next project is going to be a band album. When he's talking about when they're going to get into Brothers in Arms. And the band was pretty strong at this point because he still had himself and John Ilsley from the original Dire Straits and had played on every Dire Straits album. Had Hal Linz, who had replaced his brother, David, on a few albums back, I think after the second album. How did it go? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think his, his brother, didn't, he didn't last long in the band. Well, not once they broke, yeah. I mean, not, not after they got signed. I mean, look, yeah. here's the thing. Their first their first single was, was Sultan's Swing, you know, and that got them on TV all over Europe, you know, and it got them a bunch of touring opportunities, got them a chance to go to the States, chance to make a second album, chance to go back and tour again. And I don't think David liked to tour. I mean, maybe he wasn't taking care of himself. I don't know. Plus, it's got to be tough, man. If your if everyone's saying your brother's a genius, your brother's a wonderkin, he's special. We're gonna offer him premio studio gigs. We're gonna offer him the chance to make movie soundtracks. We're gonna make him a producer. We're gonna give him the slickest, reddest guitar so he looks cool. Cause that's the thing. Mark's never been a real good-looking guy. If he can be this big of a rock star, it must be because he's talented, right? Well, and that's a, and that's an interesting thing to think about too, because it, like I was, I was as you were saying that, I was thinking about Alex Van Halen, mm-hmm. you know. But like, at least with that, they did different things. Like, right. yeah, Eddie's the greatest guitar player ever. Okay, yeah, I play the drums. Okay, yeah, drum, blah, blah. But this is okay. He's the greatest guitar player ever, and you also play the guitar, but not as well. I mean, you kind of just. 
you got your role in the band. And yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that was part of it too. It was like, you know what, forget it. I don't want to do this anymore and be constantly compared to, well, I guess you also play guitar. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like Michael Jordan's brother played some basketball, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, yeah. No one wants, to, well, you know, I, 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 what I'm doing on this part of the song, uh, no one, no one cares about that. I'm right. Sorry. But so, yeah, this is, this is Dire Straits just killing it. Just, you know, on a roll. Terry Williams was the drummer. He'd replaced Pick Withers and they picked up Alan Clark to be their keyboard man. So they're, that's kind of like the core group. Now, also on stage, Mel Collins came in on the saxophone. And do you know any work by Mel Collins there, Action? That name sounds very familiar to me. And I'm going to bet you it's, he's, I mean, it, it, if Knopfler picked him up, he's got to be, you know, I want to say like, the, he probably did something with the Stones, maybe. True. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's one of those cool things where, yeah, if you if you do something like that, you're in very high demand. They're not going to pick up some chump. No, no. No, he, he's pretty big time, you know. And yes, he was, he did tour with the Stones and, and recorded with them and all sorts of people. Like, you know, Alan Parsons Project, King Crimson, a lot of stuff with them. Who else uh, comes to mind? He did a lot with our boy, Jerry Rafferty. Okay. We love Jerry Rafferty. Richie Havens. What is Richie Havens known for? Richie Havens is known for, oh, you're going to stump me here. I don't. <laughs> ah, go ahead. He was the first act to play at Woodstock. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And he made a really sweet song in the 70s with our boy Steve Hackett. Uh, if you haven't heard that one, definitely check that one out. But anyway, um, yeah, did one with him. Tina Turner, Roger Waters. You know, I mean, this is, you know, Bad Company, Humble Pie, Uriah Heep, Brian Ferry, The Small Faces, Camel. Yeah, 77 to 78 with The Stones, man. I mean, he's... He's pretty big time. He did the solo uh, on Dance Hall Days for Wang Chung, man. So, so he didn't have a whole lot of free time in his schedule. So he was, like. he was pretty good, right? And then they also had another keyboardist, I noticed. If you watch the video, because the, the movie or the video is great, it kind of shows them chilling out, maybe shooting some pool at the beginning of the uh, the program there. And uh, and then they they jump into the uh, the concert, basically. And it's it sounds the same. It's, it's Again, you would have had to change the music on both the the video, sync it to the video and the record if you were really going to change the music, but um, it, it, it all sounds great. It all looks great. So they were, they were killing it. They were killing it. And that's a great venue. I've only been to it once, but Hammersmith Odin, just an historic spot where all the greats have played uh, in London over the decades. You know, the other thing that's striking me now too, that I'm thinking about it on that video, when you watch him play, mm -hmm. he looks exactly the same. And I realize it's only a year or two. He looks exactly the same as he does in the brothers in arms stuff. Mm -hmm. He's got the same look. He's got the same deal. So that goes back to your, obviously not the rock star, like, Oh, I need a whole new wardrobe for this. And eh, just give me what I got. I'm, I'm it worked for me once. Let's go again. Headband and the, yeah. and the suit jacket. That's I don't right. care. That's Give me the wristband. It's hot under these lights. You know, just yeah. keep it out of my eyes and keep my hands dry. Correct. You know, yeah. So I, I can do my play. thing. Back to the video, though. You notice him. He moves pretty easily when he's doing what seems to be some fairly intricate stuff 
on the guitar, right? I mean, he's, he's moving around the stage a little bit. He kind of runs back to talk to people. He bounces around a little bit. And it just seems to kind of flow naturally to him. I wonder if he just kind of just has this magic in his hands that can separate from the rest of his body. He seems very, very Eddie Van Halen life where it's like, it's not, it's not like he's really playing the guitar. It's more like he's, it's an extension of himself. I'm sure he could sit there and have a conversation with you and play something at the same time. It's second nature to him. It's not, oh geez, I've got to, I've got to really concentrate on what I'm doing. It just comes naturally. And I would imagine that a lot of the stuff maybe that he's doing live, he's going to start to play, but we really don't know what he's going to play. Mm -hmm. Just let him go for a minute. He just kind of whatever feels. What I'm saying is I don't think he actually wrote out all those notes. Like it's just like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, have a little jam here and then boom. Yeah, it's interesting to watch somebody like that play who has such a mastery of the instrument. So like you said, he's playing intricate stuff. Mm -hmm. He's jumping around. He's singing. He's playing with the rest of the band. Yeah, I think that he does not get enough credit for being the the musician that he really is. No, but you know, Dire Straits did get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I know that's not, it doesn't mean you you deserve it. It doesn't mean that you were awesome. It doesn't even mean you were rock and roll. <laughs> Let's face it. But the band was entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm a pretty big fan. And so you, you, you would want them to be in. But even I was like, you know, maybe they're not deserving. If, you know, there's certain other bands that aren't in yet, maybe they're not deserving. I don't know. But you can't argue that Mark Knopfler does not deserve to be in. It's kind of like right. Sheik kept getting put up. Like, Sheik, Sheik, let's put Sheik in. Like, Sheik just, you know, yeah, they had some great hits, but, you know, they weren't there. Well, we got to get Nile Rodgers in. I'm like, okay, well, let's just make a special, we'll put Nile Rodgers category yeah. in. And that's what they did. And quite frankly, I've talked about this in the past. To me, that should have probably been the case for Jeff Lynne in ELO. I think ELO may have gotten in the same year as Nile Rodgers. ELO, do they really deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Iron Maiden's not in? And, you know, it took Deep Purple so long to get in. eh, They're marginal to me. No grudge against them. But Jeff Lynne should absolutely be in because Jeff Lynne was ELO and he did all that amazing production in the 80s and 90s um, with all the Wilburys and all those guys. He, he, you know, he deserves to be in. So the fact that Dire Straits got in is great. But, you know, Mark Knopfler certainly should be in. And I guess that's kind of what that was about, even though he did not go. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the whole thing, too, with he went in for it. Now that you're putting it that way, it's almost like, I don't want to say a slap in the face, but it's really he should just kind of be in for it, it, just being Mark Knopfler, not for Dire Straits. He's got more things to offer than just that band. And I don't know why he didn't go. I don't know if there was some bad blood there. He wasn't feeling it. Maybe he just didn't want to be the center of attention. I don't know. Because what I've heard is that if you say yes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it comes with a whole bunch of other baggage. Okay, well, you have to do this. And you right. can't do this. Yeah. Okay, you know what? No, thank you. Well, there's plus, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doesn't necessarily consult you on who they're going to put in, which members they're going to put in, and that kind of thing. And they put in David Knopfler for his con- contributions to the first two albums and then up and coming. And, and Mark and David famously do not get along now to this day. I, I think when they he left the band, it was fairly amicable, and Mark continued to encourage him. David did some producing of his own and made his own records. They don't, they don't see eye to eye or even see each other anymore, from what I understand. So if David was going to be there, Mark was not going to be there. Plus, I don't think that they hold it in that higher regard over here, like maybe we do in the U.S. And it is kind of U.S.-centric. Like I said, a lot of bands that I think are deserving that maybe more European-centric bands are out. It's a process we're not privy to, but, you know... 
I think he says, you know, I think it's big for Americans. I don't think it's as big a deal for us. And he doesn't need Dire Straits as part of his legacy. I mean, obviously he does. He still has the songs. But he he doesn't need to go on one more stadium arena tour to make an extra $25, $30 million. Um, it might benefit the other guys to do one more tour. But I, I don't think he needs that, and I don't think he wants that pushed on him. I think he's very happy with his life the way it is and the records he's made solo. Yeah, and again, it's it's one of those things where if you if you say yes to this tour, okay, you can't just – I mean it comes with a lot of baggage also. So, yeah, you're right. He's probably just like, you know what? I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. If I if I see an opportunity that jumps up, fine. If not, yep, I'm I'm at the house. I, I would imagine he's the kind of dude that would just sit there and play all day because mm. that's what he loves to do. It's yeah. not a, it's not a burden for him. So I mean, who knows? Maybe he's recording stuff on his own just to pass the time. And if it comes to something, it does. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. Well, he's got one of the best studios in London down by the river, uh, and it's won awards for you know best studio in London, and The Who made their last album there, and it's someplace that people really, really want to work, you know. And I think Hugh Padgham, who'd worked with him a lot back in the day on Dire Straits, is kind of a resident there a lot these days uh, as a producer, so that's pretty cool. Look, I think it starts off really strong. It's kind of a little build-up uh, to it, you know, but they, they start into Once Upon a Time in the West. And again, this is one they really kind of stretch out a little bit. It's 13 minutes uh, versus what you hear on the uh, studio album. But it's cool, you know. And again, John Ilsley on that bass just driving, do 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 You can see how they start off a little slow, but a little tight, and really sets the stage for what's to come. And it is kind of a weird deal, or not weird, but interesting that you would start the show with a 13 minute song right it, it just it just shows you that this is not a singles band this is not a you know here are the hits i mean yeah you know sultans of swing is what not till number six i would imagine that in 1983 the people that were at this show were just big fans of the band kind of like a rush show like mm-hmm. you know you're 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 there because you love the whole catalog and not well i'll sit here and listen to the, you know i can't wait for the two hits that they have right yeah no, you, you want to see you want to see Nopla, right you know what i mean right yeah right. exactly it's like we can't hear Santana. the band play so go ahead and get it and then straight into espresso love which is a little bit more upbeat and he is kind of all over the neck on it and i think it's i think it's awesome you know it, it's a you know fun little story being in love in the espresso shop right at the mm-hmm. you fall in love with a barista or you know it it moves it, it kind of gets the get it gets it rolling there, and I think maybe that's kind of something that gets lost a little bit too in the later in the later works is when you go back and look at it, like even Sultans of Swing from the beginning was he he tells like story mm-hmm. songs like it's a you know it's about a deal or we'll get to Sultans of Swing in a minute, but you know it's Guitar Joe you know he knows right. all the chords. That's right. It's just and it's a, it, when you listen to it, you're like, oh, okay, he's telling the story of just sitting there and and watching this go by. Yeah, kind of like a Dylan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, so then they get into Romeo and Juliet. Always a big crowd pleaser. I looked up; it was never a hit in America. Like never even charted. I'm like, that's ridiculous. It's an enormous hit. You know how many movies has it been in? How many weddings has it been played at? I mean, yeah. that's a that's, it. that's interesting huge that it hit. never even charted in the United States because I mean I remember hearing the song, but I mean I think that was probably more on like album rock radio and not right. you know, single stuff but still I, I didn't know that that it was never never charted at least and he's playing that acoustic like steel acoustic guitar um, yeah. on there that not everybody can play you know a beautiful song a classic song but you know it's, so they're you know out of the gate now they're like 25 minutes in or getting close 30 minutes in 
They just played the like, all right, let's chill it out for a minute song. Love Over Gold, which is next, was only on the CD and the cassette, was not on the double LP back in the okay. day. Uh, I only ever had the CD. In fact, Gary, you know, I, I could only bring so many discs over here, didn't really bring that many brought a book of stuff, a lot of stuff I burned, or maybe I didn't have the, the jewel box for it anymore or something like that. No. And so I brought that over, and then I just brought a couple other things. And then I just started buying stuff that I didn't have before. I had to buy Alchemy again because we did kind of pay up on Amazon so I could get basically every song I have back home. I could listen to it easily on there, but they don't have Alchemy on there. They have maybe everything Dire Straits did in the studio, and they might even have the live album from After or on every street, but they don't have Alchemy on there. I'm like, well, I can't go this long without hearing Alchemy. So I had to go out and buy it again. So I do have two. two um, I might even have three, because I may have had it used for a long time, and then it was inexpensive, and I bought it again. So I have a nice clean one, now I just bought it again. Plus I have the DVD. It's, it's been a go-to for me for a long time, but Love Over Gold, I guess, was not included. Not my favorite song, but it's it, it kind of brings it up a little bit more after Romeo and Juliet. And it's and it's interesting too because that's only three minutes and twenty seven seconds, so that's a quick in and out on that one, and then you're on to the next track, which is Private Investigation, which I I like. You know, it, again, it's yeah. kind of a, a gumshoe, or it's one of those you know nine million stories in the city. <laughs> this one is mine, and, and it's a great song. And again, I think Ills, uh, Ilsley stands out because of the way he kind of boom thumps that bass, boom. Yeah. Yeah, and just then, just doing knowing what he needs to do in the song, fitting in perfectly, that's right. not overdoing it, not underdoing it, just just perfectly. right on there. Yeah, and then of course, Sultan's a swing man. I remember hearing this in high school for the first time after obviously I'd, I'd heard Sultan's swing in the studio version and being like, "Wow, that's amazing! I got to get that tune." And I'm like, "That's unbelievable!" The way you think he's going to finish it, go into the wicked tight end of the solo part, and then they bring it down a notch. But he even in the video, you can see he is in complete control he is digging it he's you know he's saying london you know down in london town that's right you know he's happy to be in london that night yeah it was and then when he's walking around sitting back he still knows exactly what he's gonna do he's got a smile on his face not worried about it I'm like this is one of the best guitar solos in a song ever yeah and and, and it's it, one of those things where if you told me like if i'd never heard of this before and you told me you could make sultans of swing 10 minutes and 54 seconds eh, i don't know about all that yeah you can and it, it doesn't sound overdone it doesn't sound egregious it doesn't sound like somebody just wailing away because they're trying to you know inflate their ego it really it's a tight 10 minutes and 54 seconds which is kind of a strange thing to say but it is it's wonderful, man, and, and and the way they start to build it back up, and he can kind of pick away and add a little texture as it kind of goes slow, and then and now it's starting to pick up a little bit. Now I can do my thing a little bit more and slide all over that guitar and, and, and really hit those fast notes at the end, which is kind of the very famous part that made yeah. it the hit single that it was. Of course, it must have been an odd hit single just because it, it's without the extension. It's still like a five and a half, six minute song. It's still a fairly long song for a single back in the 70s. You know, um, I guess Hotel California had come out a couple years before and it's a good five and a half or six or maybe even seven minutes, something like that with uh, the killer, you know, dueling guitar solos at the end that the Beatles basically had to fight the record company. No, you can't cut that out. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for the offer. But uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And then it kind of just builds this crescendo and the drummer is doing the same thing and he gives the keyboard player a little time to chime in. 
you want to play with me? Okay, go ahead, set me up. And then it, and the drummer, Williams, is clobbering those things in this song. When you get to the crescendo, when they're really making it build, he is going off. And that's what I really wonder, too. Like, did you rehearse that? Or is it like a thing where you're kind of in the middle of it and you give a little something to the keyboard player, like, go? Or is there, are they listening out for something? Like it really sounds to me like they're they're kind of in the moment and they can feed off of each other and know when to when to come in, when to come out. Okay, we're going to go a little longer here. There's no awkwardness in it. I don't know. I, I'd love to think that it was a lot rehearsed, but also spontaneous a little bit too. Well, it's something they developed together as they play over time. It wasn't like that was the first night of the right. tour, right? You know, they, they've been building that chemistry and figuring out how to do these songs. And all right, Mark, maybe we'll say, hey, we're going to get a little longer on this part tonight, or, you know, let's, let's try this a little bit. But you love to hear everybody jamming out and doing their best. At the end of Sultan's Swing, listen to the bass, listen to the piano, listen to the yep. drums. I can't really hear the other guitar player, to be honest with you, but you know, it's okay because Mark is there. Um, and that's what you're listening to anyway. Right. right? And it's I just wonder if you'd seen this if you'd seen this same show five, six, seven times on this tour, would it always be ten minutes and fifty-four seconds? I doubt it. It would probably be, you know, eleven and a half, mm-hmm. nine, you know, just somewhere in there. Like it's just you just kind of play until whatever, you know, okay, and now we're done. Well, yeah. of course, he still plays it, still yeah. does it live. Um, he does extend it a bit. He, he doesn't quite do it as long as he did on, on this one, but he knows people are there to see it. Um, and we got like second row seats to see him once. And uh, we stood up for the, they did Sultan's a Swing early, like the second or third song, you know. Uh, and we, I stood up the whole time and, and jumped up and down. Nobody in the first 20 rows was even standing up. It was just like an older crowd in Indiana. I'm like, goodness, what's wrong with you people? What are you waiting for? You know, it's like, yeah. which song are they going to play that's going to be, you know, better? But anyway, but that's that's disc one, and it's like, whoo, that's a strong way to end disc one. <laughs> so we're done with this now? Oh, no, we've got a whole other side. That's the thing. Just you wait. And again, some longer songs here. You know, one of my favorites, Telegraph Road, but... Two Young Lovers, it starts out, not not my favorite, but it, it's one of the shorter ones. And there's nothing wrong with the song. It's just there's there's other stuff I would rather kind of get on to. Yeah, and then you get into next is Tunnel of Love, which is, you know, the, your 14-minute, 29-second extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, the 14-20, Tunnel of Love. Well, here's the thing. The first four minutes of them kind of noodling a bit, and I think they're doing a little bit of Rogers Hammerstein to kind of start the thing off. And then eventually, like... Literally, like, three and a half, four minutes in, he finds it, all right, it's called Tunnel of Love, you know, and then they do 10 minutes of Tunnel of Love, you know. 14 minutes is a, is a lot, but it, there is a break kind of when he kind of, they noodle around, they kind of do this intro thing, and this, okay, now we're going to do Tunnel of Love, you know, <laughs> and then they do that. But then it's followed by Telegraph Road, another almost 14-minute song. But Telegraph Road with the working man's struggles and all the, you know, kind of guitar breaks, um, the kind of the way they kind of bring it down, let the piano keys tinkle a little bit. You know, the plight of the working man. It's uh, it's an epic song. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I think another underrated, another underrated Dire Straits track. Unfortunately, I think they get, especially in the United States, kind of you either like Sultans of Swing or you like Brothers in Arms, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that kind of gets not forgotten about, but it just was never as hyped in the United States. 
and that's one of them. Yeah, and it's it's a long song anyway. I mean, on Love Over Gold, on that album, there were only two songs on the first side of the LP, right? One of them being being this one. So I love Telegraph Road, and I love the story that it... I like the picture that it paints. You know, first came the churches, then came the schools, then came the lawyers, then came the rules. You know, <laughs> telling the story about how it, it all came together over the years and how the working man has been, you know, that it was hard times, that it was war. How it been squeezed out, how the landscape has changed, but there's still the telegraph road. I, yeah. I, I just think it, it paints a great. It's very kind of Dylan or even you want to go way back to like Woody Guthrie-esque. I, I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's that's what, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, just, well, I know it's not Americana, but, you know, the, the story of way back when, I'm going to tell you, you know, just sit mm-hmm. there and I'm, I'm going to tell you the story about how things used to be. Yeah, and in the industrial age, Things change and then they change again very rapidly. Yeah. Right. You're a boom town. You're a ghost town in mm-hmm. one generation, in two generations. You know. So uh, it, just just a great old one. And I oh I they all I almost got to see them do it. They were doing Telegraph Road one year on his solo tour, and then they mixed it up. They mixed in something. It was something they hadn't played in, like no one had played in in thirty years. Or something like that. Not he or the not Dire Straits, anything. So I think diehard fans really liked it. But I'm like, no, 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 wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Telegraph Road, man, no, no. Telegraph Road. <laughs> and he's like, and you can shout stuff out if you want, but we're not going to play it. And I go, Telegraph Road, because I really wanted to hear it. Now, like I said, we were in the second row. And you could, with your tickets, they would give you, like, the opportunity to buy or to have, like, one recorded, like, the MP3s of one show from that tour. So I chose that show. So it's like, I have a souvenir from the show I was at. And I swear to you, Jackson, if you listen close enough, you might just be able to hear. Because he says it, and you can say whatever you want, but we won't play them. I swear you can hear somebody (laughs) say Telegraph Road, and that someone would have been me. So then the, the record... Wraps up with solid rock, you know, which is kind of a get you moving, right? It, it's it's one of their more upbeat, run more of a runner of a song. And I kept a pretty happy song. Nice refrain, good playing on it. And then they end with uh, Going Home from Local Hero, which, I mean, to this day... I, I feel like he almost always closes the show with. Yeah, and and that's a that's a very cute movie if you haven't seen it out there. Podcast Land about a ruthless. Well, he's not ruthless, but the company is ruthless. Oil exec who goes to a small Scottish town to put up drilling rigs, and he falls in love with the place. Yeah, it's boom. Lancaster is the is the kind of the the elder statesman, and shows him not all about money. I guess is the is the is the story, moral of the, the story. Thing, yes. You don't want to ruin this town that's been there for so long so cute movie yeah Boone from Animal House correct yes and then I guess there was a few that were recorded that didn't really make the record so there's always hope that there could be an enhanced version in the future out there Mark this came out in 84 then we're probably only a few years away from a 40th anniversary so you can get cracking on that Industrial Disease, Twisted by the Pool, and Portobello Bell I guess were recorded for the the record uh, and were not put on there Although it says here that Portobello Bell was on the compilation Money for Nothing, and I remember that one. Uh, I remember hearing that. And then the um, the other one, uh, in, I think it was Industrial Disease, ended up on The Best of Dire Straits or something like that. Okay, yeah. Money for Nothing, The Best of Dire Straits. I think that was on there. 
Yeah, and then there was the Sultans of Swing, the best of Dire Straits CD. There was a couple, yeah, there was a couple different best of records. We had one of them in college, but the Portobello Bell is a really good song. Twisting by the Fool is kind of silly, if you ask me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, I always thought that was like an ode to the, like the 60s, just pop songs from back then. You know, we're going to have a good time Twisting by the Pool. Yeah, it's like something they play on Happy Days. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, that's a, that's always an interesting deal when they do repackage, remaster, and put these things out again. You've got to give people a reason. Well, not you, but you have to give <laughs> other people a reason to buy it again. And that's, that's usually a good way to do it. Hey, you already have these things in the can. Just clean them up, put them on there on the on the you know deluxe version. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to do anything else to them. So it, it could be a possibility, absolutely. And this was the live album. This is the one that really captured who they were at the beginning of their career. Pre-Money for Nothing, pre-Chicks for Free, pre-Brothers in Arms. Obviously, waiting, uh, ready to take that next step, and boy, did, did they take it. Yeah, I, I, I just I wonder if it would be interesting to, to take the Mark Knopfler slash everybody else in the band and the crowd and say, the next thing is going to be, you know, you figure, oh, well, you know, the next one, hopefully it'll sell a couple more copies than this, but just to, to know that the, the next thing was going to be bigger than anyone ever imagined would be interesting to see the look on their face, how, how the crowd would change this tour to the next tour. You probably had a lot of these people, but then you probably had a lot of people that had never heard one Dire Straits song ever, other than the, what was on uh, Brothers in Arms, and maybe you heard Sultans of Swing once, but I, I wonder how the hardcore fans mm-hmm. dealt with that next turn right. of they, the band. Yeah, I mean, huge, you know, playing Live Aid, playing Wembley, playing Nebworth, playing whatever they want, you know, for, for years. Um, yeah. You know, playing Giant Stadium, I think. Huge, huge, got them for everything. And then, yeah, and then, of course, Mark had other stuff to do. He had to go make the Princess Bride soundtrack um, somehow in the middle of all that. He, he produced some more records. He, he worked on a lot of different stuff. And he had all that money to count and spend on something, you know. I mean, that takes that takes a lot of time. Who yes, wouldn't like the trappings of all that wealth? Well, that's... Well, Rock and Rollers, that wraps up our show on Dire Straits Live anthology alchemy from 1984 mark knopfler and dire straits at their very best at the peak of their powers before they hit the big time with brothers in arms a few things to clean up real quick the tv show i was talking about was the other side of the tracks actually a british show filmed here in london but with an american paul gambaccini as the host that's what kind of threw me off made me think maybe it was new york it was a show that i referenced a few times there and got some good nuggets on mark from also mark's great studio down by the thames is British Grove Studios, something he's very proud of and has won many awards, has a lot of great folks recording there. And lastly, the tune I was talking about by Richie Havens with Steve Hackett, there are actually two from Steve's Please Don't Touch record. One was How Can I? The other one I was thinking about was Icarus Ascending, a beautiful song uh, that I highly recommend. Hey, who knows what we're going to do next week, but maybe you could help us out. Let us know what you want to hear about. We're at ugly underscore werewolf on Twitter, or check out all past episodes on uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Until then, rock and rollers, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.